It is the question on which your life and my life hinges. Are you the one? Or shall we look for another? We answer that question in the affirmative. And from that moment, we begin to make changes in our life. We clean ourselves up, if you will. Behaviors, addictions, relationships. We even become more thoughtful about others. We become generous with our time and treasure. We go to church to worship on Sunday and join a small group and begin to read the Bible. We get our lives turned around. Because we have answered that question in the affirmative, are you the one? But then there comes a time, and this is a big but, there comes a time when the press of the world begins to press on us personally. We realize to follow him is to go against the grain. Culture says this, we choose that. We confront a situation, perhaps. We take a stand for what is right in spite of the cost. We decide this is a ditch to die in. The consequences of our decisions are sometimes serious. Punishment, as you know, can take many forms. Ridicule or no promotion or simply being ostracized from a community. It can be loss of a job. I remember a wonderful nurse administrator in the upstate who took a stand in her hospital. A new organization had bought the hospital and wanted her to do the rules that she believed were against the law and to do things in new ways that were against the law. And she took a stand. She uh, said, I I cannot do that and stay here. And they said, you have to do that. And so she resigned. She said "It, it wasn't legal what they wanted me to do. And it is in those times as well that we find ourselves returning to that question that started us on the journey. And we ask again, are you the one? Think about any biblical hero. Moses, who confronted Pharaoh, later says, I'm not able to bear all these people alone because it is too heavy for me. Elijah, after reproving King Ahab for his corruption, then has a spiritual collapse and flees to the wilderness, and we find him under a juniper tree complaining to God. David, establisher of the kingdom, will ask, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And now it has happened to John the Baptist. It wasn't very long ago. John the Baptist was preaching in the desert of Judea. We heard of it only a week ago ourselves. Calling people to repentance. For the kingdom of heaven is near. People had gone out to him in droves. In a miraculous um, uh, revival ministry going on out in the desert by the Jordan. Confessing their sins, he had baptized them and called them into a new lifestyle. But when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, he was confident to say to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Change your lives and then come and be baptized. Now John has taken on Herod Antipas. 
Herod, the, the son of Herod the Great, and Herod Antipas, who now um, rules over a portion of this area of Palestine. And John the Baptist has taken the costly high road of morality against Herod, speaking against him for at least a couple of reasons. One being that he had uh, married his brother's wife, Herodias, and that is a moral issue. And the historian Josephus tells us that Herod also had, in marrying Herodias, had divorced King Aretas's daughter. He's king of Arabia, and so he is preparing to wage war against the Israelites for this uh, conflict between two kings and his anger at hurting his daughter's feelings. So John's concern for the people and what they're going to suffer in this power struggle between these two kings. And John sees the moral issue as well and the hypocrisy of Herod. And he pays dearly for that decision to take a stand. Now keep in mind, John's the outdoorsman, isn't he? And now he is confined to a dungeon and has been there probably, probably languishing for months. He's in a fortress, and Josephus, the historian, tells us where that fortress was even. Macarius, uh, the ruins are still there, nine miles east of Jordan and about a hundred miles away from where Jesus is doing his ministry and where the disciples were sent to ask this question. John the man of the outdoors, the man of the desert, eating locusts and wild honey, an ascetic taken from the open air and put in prison. One commentator described John like a caged eagle, that noble man like that noble bird, meant to fly and to be in the wilds and in a dungeon. That commentator went on simply to describe it with a bit more depth and saying, yes, John lost the rush of the water over the fords of the Jordan, the song of birds, the rising and setting of sun. His muscles lost their tone, his body lost its vibrancy, pale and thin, and his spirit now becomes weighed down. Discouragement, yes, doubt, yes, maybe even despair and desperation. So desperate, he even doubts the confidence of his own message that was said at the Jordan not too long ago. He sends his own disciples to Jesus to ask the question again. In the midst of that darkness and despair and discouragement in a dungeon, are you the one? John may be thinking, I did this. I confronted those Pharisees and Sadducees in the same way I confronted this King Herod because I believed my own words about you, Jesus. And I've tried to live as God has called me to live. I saw multiple wrongs in this leader. I saw it was going to be costly for my people if I didn't say something, and so I did. I did this because I believe in you. That you will make crooked paths straight and level the highway and establish a kingdom of righteousness and peace without Roman rule. And John may be thinking, it has cost me everything. 
the most important thing I had, my freedom, here I am confined. If you are not the one, John may be thinking in his despair, then what was the point of my battle, my preaching, my taking a stand? So Jesus' answer means everything. How he will answer and what he will answer. And with Jesus' own words that he gives to John's disciples to take back to John who is languishing in prison, Jesus is saying, oh, I am the one, all right. Stay with me, John. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. It is the fulfillment of the prophecies of Isaiah. Believe it. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. A profound, essential word of encouragement. And I expect, and I don't know, but I suspect that John's solace was given to him. And he could say, okay, then I can do this. I will do this. Even if it is to my death. And I hope that John, in the sure and certain knowledge of the answer to that question again, received that peace that Paul describes that passes all understanding. Today, our situations, your situations, may not be as dire and depressing as John's, but it can feel like it is. It may be you've taken a stand, or even you are in battle with a disease that is trying to undermine and attack your physical or emotional well-being. Or you've been faithful and loyal to a job or a ministry or a task or a relationship, and you've labored to do it right and well, taking the high moral road in spite of costing you whatever, advancement or an important client or whatever and you may have even done this without bitterness or anger or resentment you may be a teacher a realtor a lawyer a doctor serving in the armed forces a volunteer leader a student a husband or wife and you have chosen his way and his ways You've not cheated when tempted. You've seen others advance by hook or by crook or by questionable tactics, and you have held the high ground. Doing this because you are a follower of the Lord Jesus and believe in his ways. And it could be, or it may be, or it will be a time when you come to a place of discouragement or doubt, maybe even desperation. And we are then moved to ask John's question ourselves. Are you the one? I gave my life to you. I've given my years for you. Are you the one? 
And I invite to to remember the good company you are keeping if you are suffering in Christ's name. I invite you to remember the prophecies of the Old Testament which were fulfilled in the person of Jesus. I invite you to remember the miracles, the signs and wonders that accompanied the followers of Jesus in the power of the Spirit. I invite you to look at the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus himself and be reminded that you will have your reward. And may you come to that same place in those days and times when you can say also, as you may have said before, okay, because you are the one, I can do this. I will do this. I will stand. The church calls it holy suffering, righteous suffering, long-suffering. There's a great passage because Paul is one of those who no doubt asked that question not only the first time, but in subsequent times, reduced to a place of discouragement and darkness at times. Um, Here's one from 2 Corinthians I want us to look at this morning, and it's a longer passage, but I believe to get the whole context, we just need to hear the and uh, see the whole thing. Second Corinthians, the first chapter, Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, there it is, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. My father was a wonderful priest and a wonderful football coach as well. He coached 10-year-olds for 18 years, his, um, among others. That was his last uh, coaching job, was 18 years at Richmond Drive Elementary School in Rock Hill. And um, he also was the chaplain of the Rock Hill High School varsity team. And the players loved my father. Uh, he was a, a man's kind of man. And he taught the football team a prayer that was prayed before every Friday night high school football team. In a day when Christianity could be welcomed into a setting like a locker room, Uh, under a stadium and he did this for years and um, to my knowledge every player in that room uh, by the end of the season had that prayer memorized and was said by heart there were no notes or anything Uh, he had taught them to know it so that was written on their hearts and it was for the battle just ahead but of course my father had something much more significant intended for them to receive out of that experience just as sports and competition is preparation for life But to have a prayer to sustain a person in other times as well and beyond the football field because life is tougher than any football game. And it was the prayer of St. Ignatius, a Spanish um, 
a um, convert of the 15th century, I believe, who founded the Jesuit order. And Ignatius wrote this prayer and gave it to the church. And my father took it and gave it to hundreds of young football men uh, for years coming out of Rock Hill High. Teach us, good Lord, to serve thee as thou deservest, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, save that of knowing that we do thy will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That was the final word said in the locker room before the team went out to play a game. Kind of a lovely way to to put a mark on a person's life, that that was the, that was the rah-rah cheer out into the battle. And I, with that prayer, my father always had a short teaching. He would travel with the team, so out-of-town games or home games, there'd be a short teaching for the players as well, and then ending on this crescendo. Uh, what a wonderful football coach to allow that to happen, and he was a wonderful football coach. But that's the sort of encouragement we need sometimes as well, isn't it? Because being a Christian can be tough, and we will suffer. Paul says, in fact, we will undergo persecution at times because we're going to go against the grain of the world sometimes as we make our own stand, our own confession, our own witness, because we believe that he is the one. And may you find encouragement in the words of Jesus today that he gave to John that confirm and acknowledge and recognize that whatever you've given up for him, for the Lord Jesus, you will receive your reward in time.